What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever podcasts are sold. Guys, it's summertime, and that means I'm relying on y'all to help me with content. That's right. It's an all-mailbag-everything episode of Locked On Blazers, a very special fan-focused episode. So that's what we're going to do. Three segments of questions you guys submitted to me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. I appreciate the love. Um, I think everyone who asks a question is going to make the show, which means I might have to rattle through the back half of them quickly if I go on too long. So I'll try to keep it even, give everyone their shine, but that's what we're going to do. Three segments of listener questions. Let's get it started. The first one comes in from Mike Morris at Mike underscore Morris 22 on Twitter. His question, their question, top five Blazer backup big men of all time. And Mike is opening up the floor to uh, occasional starters like Brian Grant and Joel Persbilla. Here are my five, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because it's my show. Number five, three dudes from the 99-2000 team, Detlef Schrempf who averaged 7.5, 4.3 boards, 2.6 assists at age 37 on that team that made the Western Conference Finals. I loved that version of Detlef Schrempf. He was tight. The other guy on that team, backup big, Brian Grant, as mentioned by Mike Morris, averaged 7.3 points and 5.5 rebounds off the bench and guarded Shaq in the Western Conference Finals when Sabonis wasn't ready or she couldn't hang. And the final guy on that team, who makes up number five on the list is 21-year-old Jermaine O'Neal, a name that haunts Blazer fans because he wasn't around long, and when he left, he got really good. But he was super fun on that team. I mean, everyone knew he was going to be good, except for, I guess, the Blazers brass, who shipped him out for Dale Davis. Whoops! But Jermaine O'Neal at 21 was super fun, super skinny, rock the headband, gotta love him. That's number five. Number four. And instead of just picking, I should be specific here, instead of just picking guys and their careers, I picked single year, very specific backup big men. So my number four backup backup big man in Blazer history is 1991-1992 Mark Bryant, who came off the bench in all 56 games he appeared in and averaged a cool 4.1 points, 3.6 rebounds on a team that made the NBA Finals. Also, he had a super dope flat top. Love Mark Bryant. Got about a million Mark Bryant cards. Maybe I'll do a trivia game and I'll mail you guys a Mark Bryant card. Number three. 1987-1988, Kevin Duckworth came off the bench for 50 of the 78 games he appeared in. Averaged 15.8 and 7.4. Basically, Kevin Duckworth was a bench player until he wasn't. Uh, From about the end of January on, he started every single game for the Blazers that year. Uh, and and was a monster in the playoffs that season as well. He had 33 in, a, in the Blazers' Game 4 uh, season-ending loss to the Jazz in the playoffs. Kind of gave us a glimpse of what Duck was going to become because from that point forward, he was a starter. But, but that year, 87-88, Duck was a backup big man. Next up, number two on my all-time greatest backup, Blazer backup big man list. 1998-1999, lockout season, Rashid Wallace. 
He started just 18 of the 49 games that year. Uh, season was only 50 games, but he averaged 12.8 points and 4.9 rebounds. He was 24 years old. He was obviously a boss. He was going to be very good. And then when he came back the next season, 99-2000, he was very good, and the Blazers made the Western Conference Finals. But that year, 98-99, lockout sheet, when he wasn't yet a fully entrenched starter, awesome. Gotta love him. And number one on the all-time backup big men list, this is kind of cheating because he was a small forward, but like I said, it's my list. I can cheat. That's why Detlef Schrempf made it, and that's why number one is 1992-1993. Uncle Cliffy Robinson, who was sixth man of the year that year, he averaged 19.1 and 6.6 in 31 minutes off the bench. He started just 12 of 82 games. Uh, he was awesome on a team that was awesome. Uh, as a fun side note, by 94-95, Cliff Robinson was like a fully modern stretch four. He shot a lot and made a lot of three-pointers. I feel like him and Rod Strickland of about that same era, the 95 Rod Strickland, would be awesome in the modern NBA as a duo. Um, but by the 94-95 season, Cliff Robinson started virtually every game, full-time starter, so he doesn't count. So what does count is the last year of Cliffy as a six-man, 92-93, the greatest Backup big man of all time. Honorable mentions. 1988-1989 Steve Johnson. Average double figures off the bench. Was very good. One of those forgotten Blazer big men of the past. 2002-2003 Arvidas Sabonis. He was 38 years old. Came back after a year off. Was j barely mobile. Barely moved. But was gigantic and awesome. And it made you... Um, at 38, it made you just think, what would this guy like been of, it been like if he came to the league at 18? Uh, another shout-out for a guy in a similar career arc is 87-88, Mo Luke, Maurice Lucas, who came back to the Blazers at age 35 to finish his career after bouncing around the league in the 80s. Uh, some other guys who get shout-outs, Dale Davis, aforementioned in the Jermaine O'Neal trade, um, the Atomic Dog, Adi Norris, Juwan Howard on the 0910, surprisingly good Blazers. Uh, two guys who didn't make the list who could have. Marcus Camby, who I kind of thought of as a backup, but I guess he started virtually every single game during his very brief Portland career. And Joel Prisbilla, who by the time he was good, was a starter. So there's your answer, Mike Morris. Hope you liked it. If you didn't, you know where to find me on the internet. We're going to keep rolling. Question two. Timmy, at PDX Timmy on Twitter, asks, Any word on Portland's interest in having a G League team? I have not heard any. I was not, I didn't go to Summer League. That's where you hear the whispers and fun things like this. I was not in Vegas. Um, you, it's, it's hard to send text messages to someone and say, hey, can you um, speculate on this weird thing that no one has talked about? They're not going to respond to those texts. That's a good thing to do face-to-face. -face. I didn't get any FaceTime this summer, so I haven't heard anything. When the season starts next year, the Blazers are going to be one of two teams left in the league that doesn't have a G League affiliate. I have not heard any more. It's kind of a big thing to do while the ownership situation is in somewhat flux, or at least um, it appears to be in somewhat flux. So I think the Blazers will be the last team in the league to get one. They clearly value in-house development more than anything else. And I also feel like Paul Allen was burned by how expensive having the Idaho Stampede was. So the Allen estate is just not in general excited to go to go back and tr dip into the G League world again. So I haven't heard anything, and I uh, they'll get one eventually because every team in the league is going to have one eventually, but I think they're going to be the longest holdout. All right, last question of this segment before we move on to 
segment two, which is just more of the same, but different questions. Nick Schroeder at NW Sports underscore fan, keeping it real, tells you exactly what he's about on the internet, asks, what's up with the last two roster spots? I know Jason Quick wrote about another big, but I just want your thoughts on some names. So I had speculated before Jason Quick had uh, done this reporting that the Blazers it was fairly likely they would go into the season with just 14 guys, both for tax purposes and for some flexibility purposes, considering that one of their best players has a severe injury and isn't going to be available till February. You kind of just got to wait and see what you have and then fill out the roster from there. But uh, Jason Quick reported that the Blazers will go into training camp with just 14 guys and that the 14th guy they're going to sign is a center. I talked about this on the last podcast a little bit, but I'll touch on it here quickly. Uh, the names that Quick threw out there and uh, he made it clear that this was just more like him scouring the lists of available free agents than reporting. He reported that they're going to chase a, they're going to sign a center for number 14, and then he speculated on some names. Those names: Joakim Noah, Amir Johnson, Greg Monroe. I all I think all fairly reasonable options. Nene. Nene was was like kind of effective for the Rockets last year. Um, it'd be curious if he wants to play for the minimum and as a backup. But um, or, or potentially a third stringer if Nurk gets healthy. We'll see. Tyler Zeller, uh, Carolina Tar Heel, 2009 National Championship. What's up? Uh, Costa Kufis, Glen Oak High School alum, went to high school with C.J. McCollum in that infamous picture. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Costa Kufis, C.J. McCollum High School. You will see a wonderful photograph. Uh, some other names. Those are the names that Quick uh, listed on the his athletic Q&A. Uh, when he did that reporting about them chasing another big man. Uh, the other names that I thought of, the first thing that came to mind was I thought the Blazers should maybe go after Dragon Bender, but he's apparently going back to Europe and signing with CSKA Moscow. So peace out, Dragon. You had a weird, kind of sad NBA career, and I thought you were going to be really good at one point. Other names, I think, to consider for the Blazers in that, if they're really chasing a center, and and they are. I mean, Quick Quick's right about this. I'm, I'm certain he is. Um... Pagasol, maybe. Good dude. Kind of skilled. Extremely old. Bad on defense. Zaza Pachulia? A backup NBA center? We'll see. And then the last name I would say consider, even though I don't think it's a great option, is Epe Udo. Um, Epe was like in very, very good in Europe. Like defensive MVP of EuroLeague. Um, but he's been buried on the bench for the Jazz the last couple seasons. I think he's at least a mild option for the Blazers. He is 31. Maybe they go younger. Um, obviously, Pau Gasol is not in the younger category. Neither is Zaza. Um, neither is Joakim Noah, for that matter. Most of these dudes are going to be on the older side other than really Tyler Zeller, who's also on the older side in the terms of the NBA. So yeah, they're going to sign a veteran. They're going to sign an adult. Um, those are some names, Nick. Um, hopefully, at least one of them is exciting to you. All right, segment two. More mailbags, uh, some questions, and an argument that someone posed to me on Twitter that I will just um, have a one-sided version of. So stay tuned for that. But before I go there, I want to tell you guys about Postmates. Postmates is your prefer- is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving Locked On Blazers listeners $100 in free delivery credit for your first seven days. So download the Postmates app wherever you get apps and use the code locked on that's l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n and get a hundred bucks to spend in your first 10 days it's a great deal check it out all right so we talked blazer big man we talked blazer big man both uh, past and present we talked a little about the g league 
But we're moving on. More questions. This next one comes from at Paint and PDX. And uh, the question is, what are your thoughts on load management? Should the team prioritize saving Dame slash CJ, like other superstar players and teams, over playoff precise playoff seeding? Um, should they? Maybe. Maybe they should. I just don't know if the Blazers have ever been in a position, and I'm not sure that this year is any different, that they have the luxury of resting one of those guys and it not being particularly Dame. Resting Dame. And it not being just a surefire loss. Uh, I think you can pick your spots maybe this year, and maybe they'll do it. Um, you know, Damian Lillard played every game of his career for four-plus seasons. He's not someone who wants to sit out. I think you'd have to talk him into it and get him to buy into it. Um, as as they, both those guys creep towards 30, I think it's more likely you see teams do that or see the team do that. But I don't think that they—I just don't think they've had the luxury. I think resting those guys would have said, we're okay with losing or we're kind of just going to punt this game. I don't know if the roster got is better enough. I'm not even sure the roster is better, but I'm not sure. The, the, I don't think the roster by any means is improved enough that you can rest one of those guys and say, hey, we're ready. Uh, maybe if Anthony Simon pops like the Blazers front office seems to think he's going to, then we can revisit this. But for now, I think maybe the Blazers should try to find ways to rest guys, but I don't think it's very likely that they do that throughout the regular season. And now, an argument. Uh, in an earlier podcast, I talked about an NBA rule change where coaches are allowed to uh, signal from the sidelines to challenge uh, specific ref calls, mostly um, goaltending calls, um, fouls called against their own team would be the big one that, that coaches could challenge the refs on. And your boy, at Rip City Keith on Twitter says, disagree on challenge flags. I think it's exactly what the NBA needs to balance the difference between fans who want transparency in officiating and fans resistant to new technology that brings on rapid change. Not saying the league got it right, but isn't this better than the last two minute report? And then he sent a follow up tweet because this is a, a well thought out argument by Rip City Keith. In that same sense, the last two minute report kind of made refs look bad either way. This makes challenging refs, something that fans do constantly, an actual part of the game instead of an isolated to chat rooms. Plus, it has consequence for the teams if they're wrong, the refs will be quote-unquote redeemed. He suggests that that makes it feel more modern. One, I'm going to I'm going to say a couple things here, Keith, but I'm going to start with this one. Where the hell is this chat room at, bro? Where what chat room are you in? What year is this? Um it's okay. I'm sure you meant something else. I, but if you are in a chat room, let me know. I'd love to hit up. I pop in my AOL CD from 1996 and hop in that chat room. Um, so I think this is a rule that no one needed and no one wants. Um, your argument, while sound, has not convinced me of that. Um, the last two-minute report is good for transparency, I guess, for the league, but I don't think it helps anyone. And I don't think the challenge challenging a single call or say you get two challenges a half challenging four calls a game isn't going to help the league in fact if a coach gets four challenges correct it will make the refs look worse that's not good for the league also i think it just slows down the game it adds to more replays i never watch an nba game and say man i wish that we had more replays coming in from sakakis that has never happened in my life and it never will I just don't think this is this is a necessary or helpful challenge to the sport itself. It might add 
I don't know, a little bit of something for fans who say, I know, listen, I'm so glad Terry Stotts challenged that foul call on Zach Collins. It was a bogus ass foul call. And instead of three fouls, he has four, or instead of four fouls, he has three. Great job, coach. Great strategy. Awesome. I also just think ref error is part of the game. And this it 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 just seems like it causes more trouble and it, it it's like i said in the past this seems like it's a solution to something that wasn't a problem but guess what rip city keith if you like it you're allowed to like it if you think it feels more modern tell your friends in the chat room how modern it is just kidding dog thanks for listening thanks for the question okay one more before we hit the break and come back in segment three this one is from Portland Trail Blazers France. This is at Blazers France on Twitter. And it is two questions. Who should play at the starting forward spot in your opinion? Kent Bazemore, Rodney Hood. I have a preference for Bazemore to keep Hood with the second unit. And also, part two, which new players are you most excited to cover next season? I will handle these in the order they came in. That's the kind of guy I am. Okay, number one, who should start at forward? I think it's Rodney Hood. Um, I like Kent Bazemore as an idea. I'm not sure he's a really good shooter. I mean, I know he he has been at times a good shooter, but I he was not last year. Um, I think the Blazers would be better served with the shot creation Rodney Hood provides, and if nothing else, the size Rodney Hood provides. I don't think Bazemore is long. You know, he's got plus over seven foot wingspan, but slotting him in at the three every night probably puts him up against dudes who he's just giving up a lot of height to. Rodney Hood is six foot nine. He's, he's big. Um, he's not an elite defender, but he's, he was a passable one in a short time with the Blazers. Uh, and I think his shot creation, just another dude on the court who you can throw the ball to and he can dribble and get his own points. It's really valuable for getting some pressure off of Damon CJ. So I would go with Rodney Hood in the starting lineup because I tend towards just starting with your best group, particularly if the difference in your best group and your theoretical best group um, is not very much. So, yeah. But if you want, if you lean towards Ken Bazemore, I think the idea of having Rodney Hood on the second unit is sound. But I've mentioned this a bunch of times. I think CJ is going to play a bunch in the second unit. So maybe you need less Rodney Hood if that's the case. And part two of this question which new player am I most excited to cover? I, I, I haven't spent enough time around these guys to know. Um, but all, all of the new characters seem to have good personalities for the most part. I, you know, obviously there's. Uh, whatever Hassan Whiteside is rumored to be somewhat of a malcontent. Um, I don't, um, I will save that judgment for when I meet him, you know, a handful of times and have some interactions with him, but uh, that his reputation alone, I guess would make him not likely to be my answer for this question. Uh, Kent Bazemore seems like a really cool dude. Um, An interesting guy who did a lot of community work uh, in Atlanta really was like promoted the WNBA and things like that. Um, To me, that's intriguing. But the guy I'm most excited to cover is Mario Hazonia because he seems like a jerk. And I love jerks. And I don't mean like he'd be mean to me. I mean like he would talk trash out on the court like when he dunked over um, Giannis Antetokounmpo and then kind of like stepped over him a couple times. And then um, when he was first drafted by the the Magic, he had a couple quotes that suggested he was very cocky. You know, he was happy to be called Super Mario. Uh, 
I like, I, I think I could, I could get behind his quotes if he's that brash and bold. So he's the person I'm most excited to cover. All right, we're going to do one last segment of these. So if you've not heard your question yet, stick with me because it is coming up. That's how this works. But before we get to segment three, I want to remind you guys, every time you get in your car, tell your smart device, play podcast Lockdown Blazers. Whether you're driving to work, from work, or just around town, make it a part of your daily routine, tell your smart device, play podcast Lockdown Blazers, and I'll be there with you for the whole drive. As long as your drive is 30 minutes or less. All right, welcome back. Still Mike Richmond, still Lockdown Blazers, still a pass first point guard. So we got four, really five more questions, but we're going to do one of them in two parts. The first one is from my man, Nick Vole. What up, Nick? I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but if you do, thanks. At Nick Vole on Twitter, guys. Um, he asks, the Anthony Simons hype, is it typical Blazers fan optimism or is it justified? I don't know if it's justified, but I would like to say, I would like to expand the scope of this question and say that it is not just fan hype. The Blazers, like the the people involved with the team, the front office and the coaching staff are incredibly high on Anthony Simons. They think he's going to be very, 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 very good. Like they've, they've cleared the decks for him. They've built this roster to let him play. They didn't sign any other point guardy type people. In fact, the shooting guards that they added, Kent Bazemore is more of a 2-3 than a 1-2. They're clearing the decks for Let Simons to play. They're going to give that dude the ball and let him sink or swim. And they think he's going to swim. Which leads me to my next question. This is from Eric Hybert, at Eric Hybert on Twitter. It says, should we, Eric clearly identifies closely with the Blazers, should we try to get a vet PG via trade or sign a free agent or will Simons be enough? Kind of depends on what your definition of enough is, Eric. Um, I've mentioned this a bunch of times. If you go listen to the podcast, if this is your first time listening to Lockdown Blazers, welcome. Every Lockdown Blazers is someone's first Lockdown Blazers and I appreciate all y'all. But uh, I did a big, kind of a deep dive on what I think of Simons will be like next season in a episode a couple back, two back in your podcast app called Is Anthony Simons Ready? So that's got like 20 minutes of Simons talk if you need more of that. But in that episode, and I'm uh, I'm just reiterating it here for your benefit, um, should they, I kind of thought maybe they should try to sign a veteran PG um, because I, I see Simons more as just like a natural scorer, but I also think the logic behind them not already having that type of player on the roster is that like they did two seasons ago, they're just going to turn over the second unit to CJ and Anthony and let those guys just outscore teams and kind of beat up on teams by being having two really good one-on-one scores, assuming, of course, that Anthony Simons is a really good one-on-one scorer. I think he's good enough to be an offensive... I think he's good enough to score on NBA players right now. I think at 20 years old, today, middle of July, he could go get buckets on pretty much anyone in the NBA. I'm not sure he can guard NBA players. Don't know if he could run an NBA offense either. But I think they've seen enough of CJ kind of being that lead ball handler with the second unit that between Simons and CJ, the Blazers think they have enough. Um, To your question, will they trade for it? They're not trading for a PG. And according to Jason Quick of The Athletic, they're not signing one either. Okay, next question. This is from Parshal, at Jack Parshal on Twitter. 
Do you think we'll see a lineup of Dame, CJ, Hassan Whiteside, Kent Bazemore, and Rodney Hood at any point? Could this be the starting lineup, or does Zach Collins start? Um, Parshall tagged every one of those players in this tweet. He used their handles, not their names. So um, I'm going to assume that all those players are now listening to Lockdown Blazers. Rodney Hood, Kent Bazemore, thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. Jack, thanks for inviting them. Um, That lineup is going to play a bunch. Dame and CJ... With Hassan Whiteside, Kent Bazemore, and Rodney Hood are going to play a bunch. The Blazers don't have... They have maybe zero power forwards on the roster, depending on your opinion of Zach Collins. Um, he he sees himself self as a center. The Blazers basically never played him a single minute yes, next to Yusuf Nurkic last season. Um, he played with other guys who are centers, I guess, in like Ennis Cantor and Myers Leonard, but he, he really didn't play... At sort of in that starting power forward role or like the potential starting power forward role at all. But then they got rid of Mo Harkless. They got rid of Al Farouk Aminu. They didn't sign another big. I think Zach Collins is their power forward. But that said, that lineup that you mentioned, Dame, CJ, Whiteside, Bazemore, and Hood, is going to play a bunch because Rodney Hood is a small ball four works. Um, it's an interesting look. They went to it in the playoffs a handful of times and and he's one of the taller dudes on the roster. Like, um, unless you're going to play Scalabissier or um, random other center that you sign off the street to to play next to us on Whiteside, which seems pretty unlikely, Hood's going to play a ton of power forward. So that group's going to play a bunch. I do not think it's a starting lineup, though. I think Zach Collins starts at the four. I think that's pretty much penciled in stone next to Whiteside. And I'm I would assume Rodney Hood is brought back to start at small forward. But we shall see. Thanks for the question. Next one from Ty for she at Ty Four on Twitter asks thoughts on the power forward rotation and the and Hazonia as a potential fit at power forward. You see how I organize this, y'all? That's that's just great podcast producing by this one man show. Ty, I hope you're listening to the first, the most recent question. I hope you didn't skip ahead to the 27 minute mark. Because I just answered some thoughts on the power forward spot, but I do think, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast. Hazonia could play some power forward. He's he's has played a little bit of four in both his b- most recent stops or his only two stops. He played a little bit of four on the Magic his his second season there, uh, mostly because their their roster was a little bit wonky. But he's he's big enough to play backup power forward. I don't think he's big enough to play against starting power forwards. But in a pinch, I think he can play backup four. And he also played power forward a little bit with the Knicks. But he also played point guard a little bit with the Knicks. So you know. It, um, he's got some defensive versatility, um, or positional versatility, I should say. But yeah, I think he can play a little bit of power forward. I'm not sure that he plays a ton there. Maybe he plays on the wing. Um, it's kind of unclear what the Blazers are going to do at that spot. Like I just mentioned, they just don't have that player on the roster right now, and they don't plan to add him. So some combination of Zach Collins, Rodney Hood, Mario Hazonia has to play four at some point. We'll see what happens. And the final question of the show, Dan Graves, at InKelso on Twitter, says, Losing assistant coach David Vanderpool, big deal or meh? I always saw him as the glue guy for the coaching staff. Um, I think at this stage, it's more towards meh on the scale than being a big deal. Mostly because the guys he worked so closely with, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, are, tw- are 29 and 28 years old. They're adults, and they've been in the league now it'll be their eighth and their seventh season, respectively. So 
while they've only known Vanterpool and he's been a close confidant and a, a legitimately very close friend of Damian Lillard. Like it wasn't uncommon to see uh, DV's son on the bench pregame and Dame would go sit with him um, and like they would goof around and like have fun. Like he's, he's a close friend of David Vanderpool. But I think after seven seasons in the league, you need your guru less than when you're younger in the league. Um, I think losing Kim Hughes when Myers Leonard was younger, I think that was a big deal because he needed that guidance. I don't think Dame needs that anymore. And to to that end, Damon Lord has a really good relationship with Terry Stotts. It's not like he needed David Vanderpool to be this intermediary between sort of like two headstrong entities. Damon, Damon uh, Terry have a close relationship. They bounce things off each other. They talk. Terry's not afraid to kind of, I mean, he doesn't yell at him the way he yells at other guys because you just don't treat stars that way, but he'll, you know, he lets him know what he wants from him. And he, he accepts input from Dame in the same direction. Um, neither of them are screamers. So you don't see them yell at each other and stuff like that. But I don't think DV was like a necessary intermediary for that relationship. I think he was moreover, just a really good friend and a guy who helped bring Dame and CJ specifically and a couple of the other guards he helped bring them along. He helped grow them into the players they are. And that's why I think it's more of a meh than it is a big deal that he moved on. Um, I know Dame would have preferred it because he would prefer that all his dudes, all his pals stay forever. He's been clear that change is not something he leans into easily, but I think he accepts it. Guys, that was 30 minutes of questions provided by you. And I really sincerely appreciate it. I hope If you didn't like my answers, at least you learned a little bit. And if you didn't learn a little bit, you know where to find me on the internet to complain. But don't do that. Instead, tell your friends about Locked on Blazers. Tell them they can find it wherever they get podcasts. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Himalaya app. We'll do one of these again soon. I appreciate you guys' help. And I really appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you then.